This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Everybody's like, holy cow, you lose a game or, you know, the world's caving in. And I look back at our last two losses, I mean, scoring chances are nearly two to one and we've had some pretty good zone time and we've done some good things that we just we got beat. You know, there's been times this year that we probably not played as well as the other team and we've won some games. You know, our process has been fine and a couple unlucky breaks, but we had our chances and they didn't go in and yeah, like it's the National Hockey League, best players in the world are playing in it. Yet to see a season when uh, a team's gone undefeated. You know, John Cooper just could have ended the press conference saying, guys, we weren't going to go undefeated this year. I know, I know it may seem like <laughs> that, but the reality is the other team gets paid too. And that's what happened last night at Amelie Arena, or yesterday afternoon, however you want to phrase it. Greg Linnelli along with Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick producing. And we've got a jam-packed show for you today as Tampa Bay gets set to take on Dallas on the road. Coming up at uh, around 12.30 from the Dallas News, we'll talk to Matthew DeFranks. He covers the stars for that publication. And they've got some interesting things going on with their team. Ben Bishop remains out Radulov back in had an impact on Sunday's game or a couple of nights ago against Columbus. So it was a big win for them as they try and get back into the playoff picture. But, you know, Dave, kind of like the team we're going to see today in Dallas, you know, Nashville, they don't have the white flag up just yet. I know a lot of national media pundits are saying that they're going to be a team that's going to be active at the trade deadline. And maybe that's the case. But as it sits right now, Nashville's not folding, and it's hard to beat a team six times in a row. I don't care what level or what sport. Nashville is a a pretty uh, proudful bunch, and they're trying to catch Chicago. They've got 25 points now through 29 games, Chicago 33 through 30. So, you know, they're not going to surrender, and it was a a decent effort from them, and I, I thought Pecorine was really good which is one of the reasons why I think, or maybe the biggest reason, they were able to get two points. It was a good performance for the Predators, and they deserve what they got, a win against the Lightning. I think you you hit on the key points. Rene was really good. He had 38 saves. They played a committed game, even though they allowed scoring chances. And John Cooper is right that the Lightning had an advantage, not only in shots on goal, but also in scoring chances. Nashville competed really hard, and you could see that in those two blocks on Victor Hedman, the the one that was highlight reel <laughs> worthy by Fabro in the first period where Fabro pulled the puck off the goal line with his stick. But Ellie Tolvanen had a key block on Hedman in the third period when Hedman made another move, and this time he cut in front instead of almost going behind the net. Those are two big plays. Nashville had some finish which I think the Predators have maybe been missing in some of the earlier games in the season series. And when they got the lead, they made sure that they 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 didn't give any easy ones to the Lightning. Even though the Lightning had scoring chances, the Lightning had to work for those scoring chances. So that's from the Nashville side. I think it's really interesting, though, and we have Matthew DeFranks coming up at 1230, and we're going to talk to him about the Dallas Stars. So... Up until then, or at least a portion of the time up until then, let's look at the Lightning's game last night and and kind of a trend line, if, if we feel this is a trend line. So in a vacuum, or at least in this one game, 
I agree with what Coop is saying. There's no reason to to get up in arms about a loss. Valeni did have a big advantage in shots, and I'm not as certain that they had as huge of an advantage in scoring chances, which is kind of where I'm where I'm going with this. But the Lightning could have had a different outcome last night if Rene weren't as good as he was, and if the Lightning had a little bit more when I say puck luck, like there there were some plays where pucks were bouncing off sticks. I think you addressed this afterward, Greg, with Brian on the last call. Like Joseph whiffs on a one-timer where he's <laughs> wide open in front. There are other plays where it's like guys are in scoring position and the puck just not settling on their stick. They had to hesitate for a minute, calm it down, and by then Nashville recovered. So it was certainly possible that the Lightning could have won that game. What I am seeing, though, is too many chances against too many chances against when we're thinking about the lightning standard and certainly too many chances against if the lightning were heading into the playoffs which they are not they are not heading into the playoffs but if they were going into the playoffs playing the kind of team defense that we have seen from them in recent games i think that we would have some cause for concern that they needed to tighten things up so McElhinney gave up three last night, and I know you have taken a deep dive into the depths of Twitter and, and unearthed don't, don't the sentiment. Don't make me go there, Dave. Come on. You can, you can give us the, the Cliff Notes version of what, what Twitterverse is saying about McElhinney. But in addition to the three goals he allowed, how many scoring chances did he have to deny last Too night? Too many. Too many. There were a lot early in the game, so... Yarncroak scores on a shorthanded breakaway. And that was a little bit of bad luck. And, and Coop addressed that. He's right. He's right. That was bad luck. Points trying to knock the puck out of the air. Instead, he basically serves up a shorthanded breakaway for Yarncroak. But they had other breakaways, too. Matthew Olivier had a breakaway in the second period. McElhinney stopped that. Forsberg had a breakaway in the second period. McElhinney did not have to make the save on that because Chernak did a great job coming back and, and disrupting Forsberg. And I think in the in the closing minutes of the second period, when Nashville had gotten the three nothing lead, McElhinney was he was almost under siege. It felt like, so you might say, all right, well, it's you know it's one game. Nashville was due whatever. I mean, in preparing for today's game, I went back and looked at the last six games played for the Lightning, and if you take out empty net goals, Nashville had one last night. Detroit had one over the weekend, and the shootout goal that Chicago scored. In your last six games for the Lightning, going from farthest back to most recent, your goals against are 3, 3, 3, 5, 3, and 3. And how often have we heard John Cooper say that if you're holding the opposition to two or less, you're putting yourself in a really good spot to win. When it gets to be 3, the, the outcome can hang in the balance. And if it's more than three, then you're really putting yourself in a tight spot. And you basically have to outscore your problems. And and when you're looking at six games, and I'm going to even go back to two games prior to that. The two games prior to that, they beat Chicago in overtime three to two. But that was a, a huge performance for Vasilevsky, the first game in that three-game set, Greg. And the game before that, they shut out Dallas – to start that six-game road trip, but that was a Vasilevsky steal as well. 
So in, in those two games, they held the opposition to two and to zero. But I think the, the play in front of their goaltender was, was maybe not as crisp as it needed to be. So look, I, I'm not going to get crazy about a loss to Nashville in game 27 or whatever. But I think this is worth watching moving forward as they face Dallas tonight as a more tired team. Dallas didn't play last night, and then they got the busy schedule this concluding this week at home, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday against Chicago with for two and Florida for one. Let's see how they defend. I agree they're generating enough to score, but I think what we talked about all last year, particularly in the bubble, is it's what you keep out. It's not what you – what you're contributing offensively. One of the things that Brian talked about during the last call was that there's no question the team is starting to become a little leaky defensively. Now, there are various reasons as to why. Some of that just might be the other team pushing back, and there's a little bit more urgency on their part to generate scoring opportunities. I think most of it is probably the lightning struggling to stay in their gap control. I'm not going to get into the weeds of, of what that means. We'll let the, the players and coaches fix that. But I did ask Brian, I said, is this a product of maybe not having as much practice time as coaches would like to address the issue on ice rather than look at it on film and say, guys, this is what you're doing incorrectly. We need to change this, this, and this. And he agreed. He, he thought maybe this the practice time, Dave, uh, or the lack thereof – was maybe starting to show its true colors a bit, and the Lightning were developing some bad habits in their own zone. Now, is it correctable? For sure. Do I think the Lightning understand what they need to do to fix it? Yeah. And I think having Vasilevsky start tonight helps them in a big way, at least overcome some of those breakdowns uh, compared to, let's say, when Curtis McElhaney was in net, who, by the way, I thought played very well last night. So I I think there's no doubt there, there is, if you're watching this team and the numbers you pointed out, Dave, over the last couple of weeks and saying, you know what, they just, the eye test, there appears to be some breakdowns here defensively. I think you would be right. And I think that is something that the coaching staff is looking at. And the question is, do they, do they start to address that hopefully by tonight and execute their game plan? But it, it's something that I, I think a lot of people are aware of, Dave. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get overlooked when you have an elite goaltender like Vassy picking up the slack but as we've seen before in previous years sometimes you know when you rely on your goaltender that much uh, at some point he may let up some of those goals that he wasn't otherwise letting up and that becomes a, a big problem so I don't think it's concern but I do think no doubt they are starting to get a little leakier in their own zone defensively well you know one person who has noticed it Julian Breesbaugh because he mentioned right. that in his mid-season press conference, he specifically talked about rush chances against, too many odd man rushes against. And, you know, the first goal last night for Nashville was a three-on-two. Now, Tolvin in scoring on his strong side, he's a lefty at the left circle. Phil was not crazy about the goal in terms of grading McElhinney. Right. I, I go back, though, to that's a shot to the top of the net. And I know you've talked about the short side part. So the first two goals... Nashville scored were both short side goals, okay, but they were also to the top of the net and, and pretty nice finishes, in my opinion, from Tolvanen and from Victor Arvidsson. 
during the Nashville power play. So I'll add one other or maybe a couple of other components to what, what Brian said. I agree with him. Lack of practice time can be a factor in kind of plugging the holes that that invariably do creep into your game over the course of a long regular season, even though this one is a shorter regular season, it's still long enough. I know I've made this point before. I think the Lightning standings position is also contributing to this. They are not forced right now to have a laser-like focus on playing with the utmost attention to detail. Now, you might say, well, they should, and maybe there's an argument to be made. But I'm saying human nature dictates that if you have a huge lead in the standings, your attention to detail may may sag a little bit. Not, not a substantial amount, but enough that you can start to see some of these holes creep in to a team's game. Now, what, what snaps them back? Usually, if you start being on the short end of results. And so the Lightning now have lost two of their last three. But for the bulk of this stretch where they've been allowing three or more, they've done quite well. Like they've won games, they got a point in the uh, in the game they lost in a shootout to Chicago. But now they've lost two of three. And what happened the last time that they went on even like a small skid, they lost three of four to Carolina and Florida. They came back and they had a really good performance in Raleigh to win the second game of that four-game set. They had, and again, this is open for debate, but I'm going to say it. I believe it. They had maybe their best game of the year overall in the third game against Carolina. That was the 3-0 game at Amelie Arena. And then after Carolina pushed back and, and the Lightning got a win with a McElhinney strong performance, their next game, they beat Dallas 5-0 at Amelie Arena. That was a much different type of shutout for Vasilevsky than the one that he would have in Dallas a couple of nights later. That 5-0 game might have been the Lightning's best overall defensive performance of the regular season. I think McDonough said it. You know, like what keeps a team on on track and focus during a regular season? He's like, sometimes when your game starts to slip and you lose a couple, that can snap you back to attention. So that's why I'm saying let's see what happens here moving forward this week. The, the games are coming fast and furiously. So, I mean, if the Lightning don't kind of batten the hatches here defensively and they can't find a way to, to get points out of games where they are giving up three or more, then they're going to have to figure out a way with a little practice time, like Brian mentioned, to, to plug those holes. But they've done it before. That, that's my point. So lack of practice time, yes, but also they are in a different spot than the team you just mentioned at the top, Nashville, or the team they're seeing tonight, Dallas. These teams absolutely need to go on a run or else they're going to miss the playoffs. What's also interesting is you wake up today, and granted it's a slim margin, Tampa Bay's in third place in the Central Division because Florida and Carolina have been playing very good hockey as well. Florida is on a four-game win streak. Carolina has won eight in a row. 
And Florida right now, first place, 42 points through 28 games. Carolina, 41 through 27. Now, there's a little bit of a drop between Tampa Bay, who's the third-place team, and Chicago, who's the fourth-place team. That's because Florida's win streak has come in the last two games at Chicago's expense. Sure. And that's what we talk about with all divisional play, right? Yeah. There's a lot of uh, a lot of point swings in Dallas. You know, realistically, I think uh, along with Nashville and Columbus, they're looking at Chicago as the team to catch. What I do think is interesting, and one we can debate today uh, before we get to Matthew DeFranks in about 15 minutes, is just how important is being in first place for the Lightning in this division? Because you know there are a lot of people, and I th- I think it's an interesting point that if you're in first place. The way the standings are right now, you would most likely take on Chicago. And that, you would think, isn't as taxing as playing Carolina or Florida, who theoretically would be in the second and third positions if Tampa Bay wasn't first. And I don't know, Dave, if that catches the Lightning's attention. I mean, we probably will never know. I I don't know if that's something they would answer honestly on the record, maybe privately off. You know, if you were to ask players, does... Do you really look at matchups? Do you look at how important it is to be in first place to take on that lower seed? Or do you look at it and say, any team we play in the postseason is going to be hard. And Carolina and Florida, at some point, we're going to have to face them anyway, so why not face them in the first round? I mean, I think you'll get various answers. But I'm curious, for fans out there, when they look at the standings, how important is it for Tampa Bay to finish in first place? You would assume, Dave, when that happens, that means they're playing pretty well, and you would you would take that because that means they have some pretty good momentum, you would think, heading into the playoffs. But we've also talked before about this Lightning team, how mature they are, particularly after winning the Stanley Cup, that as long as they're peaking at the right time, whether that means they're in first place or whether that means they're in fourth place, it might not matter as much to them. But I am curious, you know, from our audience's perspective and, and you know, getting your thoughts as well, how important is it finishing atop the standings in, in today's parody-driven world? I know how you feel about it because you've been very plain-spoken in, in recent shows saying you don't really think it matters for the Lightning whether they finish first, second, third, or fourth, and they can beat any team if they are on their game, whether they have home ice advantage or not. I guess I look at it this way, at at least through the sample size that we have had in this year's regular season, which admittedly is a smaller sample size for a mid-season assessment than normal. Julian Breesbaugh even said that, that it's more difficult to kind of have a full-throated assessment as compared to an a normal season where you've got 35 to 40 games to look at. Now you got 25 games to look at. But if we go off those 25 to, to 28, 29 games, it's clear that the Lightning, Carolina, and Florida are cut above the other teams in the division right now. But I'm going to throw out a couple of hypotheticals for you. So the team that finishes first, whether it's the Lightning or one of these other teams, Carolina or Florida. So you want to put Chicago fourth. Let's put Chicago fourth. Are we bringing back Jonathan Taves? Is Taves going to be playing for Chicago in the playoffs? Right now we don't know, but he might. What about Kirby Doc? Is Kirby Doc coming back for Chicago? What about the experience gained by these young players to go through 
what presumes to be a hard-fought battle to get in the playoffs, which definitely, when you talk to the Columbus people after the 2019 playoff series, they felt helped them and worked against the Lightning because the Lightning didn't have a lot to play for down the stretch in that regular season. Are we going to talk about championship experience? Whether, and I'm not going to include the Lightning here because so many of their players won the Stanley Cup last Mm -hmm. year, so they have that. But if we're going to talk about Carolina or Florida, which roster is going to have more Cups? Patrick Kane has three. Duncan Keith has three. If Taves comes back, he's got three. This is a Chicago team that knocked off Edmonton in the play-in series last year. Now, I know their roster has a different look to it, but I guess what I'm saying is that you can pick a team out of the hat and say, wow, this is going to be an easier matchup. You just don't know. You just don't know how it's going to unfold in an actual playoff series. And let's say you're going to not include Chicago. What other team are you going to put in? Columbus? We know how well Columbus can defend. We know how they are a team that is geared toward having, in many instances, more success in the playoffs than in the regular season. Now you got Lion A to deal with, who is a game breaker. So I guess I'm, I'm echoing your point that there are no easy matchups when you get to the playoffs. And you have to be playing extremely well if you hope to win a playoff series, whether you're playing the, the team that just eked into the playoffs, a team in the middle of the playoff pack in terms of making the playoffs, or the very top team. You have to bring your best hockey if you hope to have success, which we saw from the Lightning last year in the bubble over an extended period of time. And, and that's the level that they are going to have to figure out how they get to that level as we enter the playoffs this year. But we still got half a season to go in the regular season. So I guess I would answer your question. Sure. That to, to me, it doesn't really matter whether they finish first or fourth, but we've been, we've been in lockstep on that point. Yeah. Now, you'd like to finish first. I think the Lightning would like to give Jeff Vinnick as many home games in the playoffs as possible, right? Strictly from a financial standpoint. And they would rather have a deciding game, if it came to that, at home as opposed to being on the road. But would the Lightning be be cowed by the notion of having to go to Carolina to play a Game 7, potentially? I don't think that they would be intimidated by that. No, I don't just think prefer they... to have the game at home. I would agree with that. I don't think they would be intimidated for sure. And, you know, for all the reasons you just talked about with Chicago, getting some guys back who were injured. They may you... not, they but may at not, this but point, we don't know. They may, but you obviously know this, and we've talked about this the other day. You know, the Lightning could be getting Kucherov back. And that certainly would be a, a tremendous boost to this team. And we don't know, too, what these teams are going to do at the trade deadline. I mean, if anything. So, I mean, I think we understand the Lightning situation, and they're kind of up against the cap. I was interested, Dave, and a little surprised. And, again, we're going off of one game, and I, I hate to analyze it to the point where we're, we're bringing up some points that we know probably will be corrected at, at some point. And when you're dealing with a team who is – won the cup and it has gotten off to a really good start this year. You don't want to overanalyze one game. I was a little surprised we didn't see John Cooper mix and mash the lines a bit more in the third period to start yesterday because that's kind of been his MO. And Brian had talked about he did not think the the Blake Holman line was was very good for the Lightning at all. And that might have been the first time we probably could have said that. I thought he said it was the Gord line. Maybe I didn't hear him mention 
was it the, the Gordon line? line I thought too. it was. I thought it was. He had mentioned the. Yeah, because he he brought them up as as a comparison to the fact that they did score the goal in the third period. Stan goes tried to center it for Gord. Maybe they he did. mentioned Coleman's line too. I thought he did. Well, regardless, I, I thought he had he had mentioned, and this probably speaks to the bigger point of how leaky they were a bit. Um, in their own zone, too, you know, when they were having some problems getting the puck out of their own zone. And, Dave, that started really 15 seconds into the game where there was a turnover in Tampa Bay's own zone. I think it was Sergachev and Foote who were the the defense pairing. And they they had a, a play up along the boards, and right away, uh, it might have been Olivier who, yeah, who got things going Olivier. there with a scoring opportunity. So it was just one of those nights. I was curious that he didn't mix and mash a little bit more in the third period. But, again, it's... Uh, you don't want to come off sounding like we're nitpicking one game because as I think I said at the beginning of the show, and I, not to simplify things too much, but it's hard to beat a team six times in a row. I mean, it really is. I mean, at some point, somebody's going to push back and put their foot yeah. down and say, listen, guys, uh, let, let's get a win here. And even, even the worst teams, like we've seen, uh, like Detroit, they can put together a pretty good performance and beat you. So I, I think that's what John Cooper's bigger point was last night is that these are professionals some of them aren't as good as tampa bay's professionals but on any given night they can have themselves a night and i think that's probably what we saw a little bit yesterday i will i will bring up this theory if that's the right word as to why coop did not mix up the lines and we may see tonight that he has mixed up the lines <laughs> i kind of feel like coop is quicker to the trigger on mixing up lines when he feels that the combinations have gone stale or flat. And as we just detailed, I'm not certain that stale or flat is an apt way to describe the line combinations last night. They had their struggles when Nashville applied pressure and they had some mistakes and they weren't all mistakes on the the forward side. Some of them were mistakes from the defense, but the Lightning were effective at generating chances. And maybe that's the delineation marker for Coop that, that in games be, where he right. feels like they're just not they're not creating much. He needs he needs to find a spark, which Maroon tried to provide last night, by the way, with two fights, especially that one in the third. He looked at the lightning bench as if to say, All right, let's get some Let's get some more emotion into our game. And the Lightning did have a good third period in terms of generating pressure, and they had, what, 16 shots in the third. But you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. that might have been a reason why he said, you know what, we're we're leaky, but we are generating chances, and so let's keep these line combinations together, see if we can clean things up in terms of some turnovers and – continue to apply pressure, which they did in the third period. I mean, I think most people would come out of that third period who watched the game, and certainly the players felt that way, that the Lightning had a good third period. And they could have scored more than one in that third period, if not for Rene and, and that key block by Tolvanen that I mentioned on the Hedman chance. So we'll see. We'll see the if he decides point. to mix them up tonight. Matthew DeFranks is up next. What's going on with Dallas? Who is their number one goaltender, and how much of a lift did they get from Alexander Radulov in their last game? That and much more. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. We're getting you set for the game tonight as well. 8.30 is when the puck drops. Pre-games at 8. And, of course, Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios have their pre-game skate show at 7.30. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. 
This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, we're getting you set for Lightning and Stars tonight, which you can hear on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Erstick is producing and here to talk about the game a little bit more. We've had him on the show and always brings great insight. as beat reporter for the Dallas News, Matthew DeFranks. Matthew, great to be with you. Thanks for joining us. Are the Stars a good team that's just gotten off to a rough start, or are they a mediocre team trying to find themselves at this point? Wow, you're coming out firing right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do, Matthew. I get right into it. I mean, My questions are a lot easier. Don't worry, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this is something I've actually thought about myself because you, you wonder, you look at the record, and they that says that they're a mediocre team that maybe just got lucky last year. Um, but then you have the, the mitigating circumstances of injuries to Tyler Sagan and Ben Bishop. They haven't played at all this year. Uh, Alexander Radulov just got back on Sunday after missing 15 games. Rope Hintz is going to be in and out of the lineup for the entire year, essentially. Um, he's, he doesn't look like he's going to be played tonight against uh, the Lightning. And then you have uh, the stoppages. You have the, the COVID stuff at the beginning of the season. You had the storm last month. Um, and they have the busiest schedule the rest of the way in the NHL. And that doesn't factor in the difficulty playing Tampa, Carolina, and Florida. So there are mitigating circumstances to evaluating this team. Um, so I think, you know, to answer your question, they probably fall somewhere in, in between, <laughs> like, like most like most things in life, right? So um, they're probably somewhere between, you know, a, a mediocre team or um, that's this is just what they are and, uh, you know, a good team that's had a bad stretch. Um, so they're probably somewhere in between there, but it's going to take a lot for them to, to get back into the playoff picture just given – where they are in the standings and how many games they have left to play. Um, it's going to take a, a lot to get there. So when you look back at the season as a whole, you might look back and say, hey, like this was just a, a mediocre team that couldn't overcome some injuries. And maybe that's the story of the team. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think to answer your question, somewhere in between. I remember, Matthew, when the teams met on March the 2nd, which was three days after they had played in Tampa, the previous Saturday, March the 2nd, was a Tuesday, and the Stars had a practice on Monday, March the 1st. I believe that the quote from either Rick Bonus or or the GM, Jim Neal, was this is going to be our basically our last full practice <laughs> in quite some time. And I remember looking up at that point, I think it was six consecutive weeks, starting with that week of March 2nd, where the Stars were playing like clockwork, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, mm -hmm. Sunday, next week again, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. How are they going to manage a schedule like that for a month and a half, which I guess now we're a couple of weeks in, when they have to make up ground and try and bank as many points as they can with the frequency of games just coming one right after the other? Yeah, that's that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that Rick Bonus has, and I think if they had been in a better spot in the standings before the stoppages and before the schedule got all uh, you know, discombobulated, they could have afforded to uh, to rest some guys on some nights or cut back minutes here and there. But you know, in the last few weeks, Miro Hastinen has been playing 25 to 28 minutes a night, and you know, I don't know how long he can do that for you know four games and six nights every every week uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, I don't know how he can do that, but 
Um, you know, they haven't really had, you know, a full practice. When they do practice on, you know, Wednesdays or Fridays, they'll have, you know, maybe a 20 to 30 minute practice, almost like a morning skate. And, you know, some of those are even optional. If you stayed on, you know, Wednesday, then you don't have to stay during morning skate on Thursday or something like that. So, you know, I think he also leaves it up to the players to decide what's best for, for their bodies. You know, hey, how do you feel? Do you need a day off? Take a day off. If you if you feel like you're, you need to get on the ice and feel the puck, then go do that. So I think it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, trusting the players to, to know their bodies and to, to make the right decisions um, because that's really all they can do at this point. They're not in a place where they can say, hey, Miro, hasten and play 20 20 minutes instead tonight like they need him to to be playing kind of maximum minutes in order to win win games and get back in the playoff race um so they're just gonna have to make up their rest on on practice days and trust in guys to to know themselves and know when they need to be on the ice and when they need their rest matthew defranks from the dallas news joins us here on power lunch on lightning power play matthew when is ben bishop scheduled to come back and when he does who is the number one goaltender for this team so it's looking like he might be early April. Um, I think we're about a week away from the exact five months uh, since his knee surgery. And that was the initial timeline given once he had surgery. It was a five-month recovery period. So I think we're about a week away from that. But I think it's looking like closer to an early April return. He has been on the ice with the team uh, a little bit recently. So that's an encouraging sign. Um, you know, But it's... Like like all injuries, it's just going to be how do they look in practice? How do they feel? How does it progress when the uh, the intensity ramps up a little bit? Um, so we'll have to see about when exactly his return is. Um, but when he comes back, he will be the number one starter. Uh, even right now, Anton Hudobin is is actually the backup to Jake Ottinger. Uh, Ottinger is going to start again tonight, be his third start in a row. And uh, you know, he, in the last week and a half he started both sides of a back-to-back twice um so it's not like you know the stars are just saying hey uh you know ottinger you can get the the bolt but on back-to-backs we're going to split them with you and hudobin um rick bonus and the stars have said no hey jake ottinger you're, you're playing well uh we're going to give you both sides of it and then we're going to come back to you on the following game too so he's uh he's played well and um that's an encouraging sign for the stars in the long term to have a 22 year old, I think 22 year old goalie um, kind of beat out the guy who led you to the Stanley cup final last year. So in the long term, that's a good idea. That's a good sign uh, in the short term. It's uh, it kind of creates some headaches with what to do when Ben Bishop comes back. Do they carry three goaltenders? Do they have Ottinger on the taxi squad on days where he doesn't start and then just have three goalies on your active roster when, he does play, so it does create some headaches when Ben Bishop does return. But I think it will be Ben Bishop's number one, uh, number one spot to lose. Absolutely. Has there been any talk, Matthew, about the path the Stars need to take and get on to get into the top four, or is it that the organization is viewing Chicago, which they got some games left against the Hawks, they need to make up that ground, or is it more just general? We need as many points as we can and let the chips fall where they may. Yeah, I think within the organization, they are looking at it, you know, as cliche as possible with one game at a time because the schedule uh, it comes so frequently. Actually, you. you can't really afford to get too far ahead of yourself. Um, but you know, 
of course, I've looked at what they would probably need to do to to catch Chicago, and it's roughly you know winning two out of every three games. Um, I think the rest of the year they got to go something like twenty one and ten or something like that. Um, my math may be a little off there, but uh, in order to catch Chicago's pace, so big picture, it's it's not uh, a great <laughs> picture to look at when you look at what they need to do in order to catch the Blackhawks. Um, but that really doesn't matter to them at at their day to day status right now, right? They they look at tonight against Tampa, and then you know the upcoming games against Detroit, and say these are the ones in front of us. We can't win two out of every three games at a time. We just have to look at the one in front of us. And you know, from a certain standpoint, I under I understand that um, just because there are so many injuries that they've had to deal with. The, the schedule changes so often that you can't really look too far ahead and you just have to deal with what you got during the, the day at hand. Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Matthew, do you think they're going to be active at the trade deadline and how much of that depends on where they are in the standings? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on where they are in the standings. Uh, you know, like, like any team, I think the next two, three weeks before the deadline – are just going to decide what they do. Um, I, it's tough to see them being buyers, just given the cap situation. Um, they are using LTIR right now, and I think they'll probably have maybe a million, maybe a little bit more than that to work with uh, around the, the trade deadline in terms of adding someone. So I don't know what kind of impact player you're going you're gonna to have uh, added to your team with that price tag and you know if it is uh, like a, a, a deal like the lightning made last year for blake coleman you see the prices are higher because of the salary is so low so um i don't know if the stars are going to be in a position to add and if they do feel like they're out of it and um they want to sell uh, there are aspiring contracts that will probably be of interest on the market and, you know jamie alexiak is a, a top four defenseman on an aspiring contract making two million dollars so he's probably going to garner some interest. And uh, if there is a year to stockpile draft picks and just get as many as you want, uh, this one might be it because you know the, the scouting is probably not as good on this year's draft, just given that some of the prospects haven't played. And so you want to get many, as many draft picks as possible to increase your chance of finding that, that one guy. Um, and maybe that guy falls later into the draft because – the scouting's not as good. Who knows? Um, but yeah, they, they do have Jay Maletziak, uh, Blake Como, Andrew Cotliano. Maybe they want to look at trading Anton Hudobin if Jake Ottinger is playing this well. So uh, they do have options in terms of selling. I uh, can't really see them being too much of a buyer uh, unless they move some of those contracts out as well, give them more cap space to work with. Um, but it will depend on where they are in the standings in the next two or three weeks, of course. That's a great point about the scouting, and that's going to be a point of discussion, certainly for Greg and for me to, to figure out what this draft is going to look like. Last one from me, Matthew. So the Lightning have talked about their inability or, or it's going to be extremely unlikely for them to make a move at the deadline given their cap situation, but they are getting back Nikita Kucherov from injury at some point, and a similar situation not only – for the Ben Bishop scenario, but also Tyler Sagan is going to be returning as well. And that would be a great addition 
to the lineup, one that you don't need to make a trade to 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 get this player. He's going to he's going to return to the lineup when he is healthy. What is his timetable and what is the expectation for how quickly he will be able to get up to speed based on his injury that, you know, he was dealing with in the playoffs last year? Yeah, I think he's going to be slightly after Bishop's return. His surgery was about 2 weeks later and uh, you know, he has been rehabbing in Toronto in the Toronto area. Uh, he hasn't been on the ice with the team at all. So would expect him to be maybe mid-April, early April, mid-April, something like that. Um, as far as him ramping up, uh, who knows? I mean, it is a hip surgery. Um, you know, obviously Kucherov's back on the ice there. Uh, the Stars have had players have had hip surgeries that come back and um, played well. John Klingberg has had a hip surgery. Jamie Benn had a hip surgery. So uh, we'll see how quickly it is. And I think it could also depend on where the stars are in the standings at that point as well. Um, he should be coming back around the trade deadline. Uh, and if they are indeed selling, you might want to maybe wait an extra week or two. I think you'd still want to get him in some games so he doesn't go a full year without playing in anything. Uh, but I think that does also dictate the speed in which he does come back or tries to come back. Uh, you know, obviously the stars standing in the central division. Matthew, last question on my end as well. The stars six, two and one when Radulov is in the lineup and he's been very good when he's played and was really good against Columbus. What were they missing with him being out? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is they're just miss- missing an, an offensive guy. You know, this is a team that doesn't have a ton of them. And when they miss you know, Ropa Hints or Radulov or Sagan, it, it really shows. Um, so I think that's that's the main thing that they were missing. But they also miss some of the intangibles that he brings, some of the the energy uh, that he does bring. He is a relentless forechecker, and sometimes it gets him in trouble with stick penalties in the offensive zone. But he does bring that all-out effort, and that's one thing that it's tough to replace with a guy from the AHL. Yeah, sure, they can come in and play on a fourth line and forecheck pretty hard but when you see a top six guy you know do what he does on the forecheck and show the the effort and relentlessness that he does have uh that's tough to replace and i think the the other thing would be on the power play um without rope hints and without radulov the the power play units didn't look like they were nhl caliber um you had some ahl guys maybe two or three of them on the second power play unit and it just doesn't have that same dangerous feel to it. But when you bring back Radulov, you get to spread out the talent a little bit more between the units and you have a more potent attack that you feel more confident in. So I think he brings an extra dimension to that power play in addition to his you know, his effort in forechecking at 5-on-5. Five five. Matthew, great job, buddy, as always. We appreciate you coming on, and uh, I hope the interview got a little bit easier and wasn't as hard-hitting <laughs> after that first question. Coming out of yeah, the I think it there. did. All right. Thanks, Matthew. All right. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. All right. Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News joining us here. Dave, I, 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 you know me. I, I got to get right into it. You know? I know. I, I, I like the, the small chat, which is great. You were a hard-hitting little leaguer, weren't you? Oh, you smacked those line drives. I pounded, Opposite Dave. field, I into the gap and right center. Every time I came up, they'd go, shift, shift, <laughs> get back, get back. And uh, which was Hey, I know this is probably a topic yeah. for down the road, but... I have heard what Matthew said or read it from from some NHL experts. 
this is going to be a really challenging year to assess talent in the entry draft. Now, maybe the number one overall pick, whoever that is, I confess I'm not I'm not well versed in in Come what on, the draft Dave. situation looks like. I don't know if there's another Lafreniere who's an automatic number right. one, but there's usual consensus about like these are the top five players, top ten players, but it becomes hard to assess where a player is, particularly if that player is 18 and not about to turn pro, the player's first year of, of draft eligibility, you still got more junior years and amateur years ahead of that player, ahead of him. You got to figure out who you're going to spend your second round pick on or your third round pick on. You know, it's an interesting, it's it's a fascinating conversation, Dave, because for me, you're right, I, I have no idea who's the number one overall pick. I, I, I couldn't even give you a name of players available that are that are looking to be drafted. But it is interesting because over the last few years, there has been a real big shift to an- analytics and looking at numbers when you're evaluating a player. And I'm not saying every team has gone away or doesn't put as much stock into a physical scout going to see that particular player. But you do know there are teams out there who may value the metrics a little bit more than, hey, my top scout saw this player and didn't perform as well against this team. But the numbers suggest that he's really good and he's getting a lot of scoring chances. So we're going to go more with what the numbers say than the scouts' own eyes. I wonder, for the teams who are more inclined to rely a little bit more on those analytics and on the numbers, if this is a big draft for them and how good or poorly they can evaluate talent. And I don't know who those teams are, Dave, but I do know there's been a shift over the last few years with looking more at the numbers I don't want to say it's more of a kind of a money ball situation, what we saw in baseball. And I think some teams are actually starting to go away from that because I think that can be a little dangerous when you're evaluating players. But if the teams who focus a little bit more on just looking at plain old numbers a little bit more than actually seeing prospects up close, if this could be an interesting year for how well or how poorly they do perform, and if there would be some changes to how organizations focus on things like that. Well, I wonder about the interview process. So teams talk to players, too, to get a sense of how the player acts and and what his makeup is. You get a sense for a player's DNA watching the player play and looking at the analytics, but also talking to the player and, and getting a sense of kind of what that player is about, what makes that player tick. And I wonder, in some instances, the absence of game material for scouts to watch or for the number crunchers to crunch the numbers, fewer games, and in some instances, very few games for for certain players, I wonder if there will be more of an emphasis on the interview process. That's really a question for Al Murray the next time. We have the opportunity to to talk to him and have him on. The other interesting part, Greg, you know, some college hockey programs, to the best of my knowledge, they're basically playing their full season. Like I saw Sammy Walker yeah. had an overtime goal for the University of Minnesota over the weekend. So clearly the University of Minnesota is playing, but there are other teams, other schools 
in the East that are not. For example, I know the Ivy League schools, and, and there are a handful of Ivy League schools that play in the ECAC, my alma mater, Yale among them, but whether it's Harvard or Cornell or Princeton, I mean, there are players who play in those programs that have gone on to be drafted. And I don't know if they're finding other places to play. I, I confess I haven't done a deep dive on that to to know what is happening. To I mean, I presume that they want to get their degree, too, so they're at school. So I don't really know how that works. Maybe that's another question. Are they, I, I'm wondering even, Dave, if they're even on campus still with school. Or yeah, I mean, maybe they, maybe they are playing and they're doing yeah. their learning remotely. Um, but from from the standpoint of the the head amateur scout in the amateur scouting department which is entrusted to find players to draft I think there are some draft eligible players who are playing close to a regular schedule and others who are not like the Western Hockey League just started up that's why Finley and and Gonsalves were playing in Syracuse they've been drafted yeah. But they didn't have a place to play in the Western Hockey League until recently. Now they're back with their Western Hockey League club. So it's going to be a really interesting you know what? challenge for all the teams. And, and maybe, maybe the teams that have really, really good scouting can find those players more readily than well, I think, teams that, that struggle in that regard. I Even if right. a team that maybe has more picks or higher picks, the team that, that finds the prospects – maybe able to offset that with fewer picks and lower picks. I think you're right. I think that's a good point. And I think, look, what's, what has separated Tampa Bay's organization over the last few years um, when it comes to evaluating talent? I mean, it's Al Murray and his staff have been able to find really good players in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds. And so this is where an organization like the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, yeah, it, it might be a little bit more difficult, Dave, but they have a knack for finding that talent. And probably even more so this year, the organization is going to have to rely on those guys to find some quality talent. You know, we may need to put in a phone call to Stacey Rooster Al Murray and see if we can get them to come on to talk about, you know, not necessarily who's going to be the first overall pick, although we can get into that with them. But I'm curious, you know, how are they going about evaluating the talent out there? What are they doing to making sure that they're not missing out on prospects? in an environment, Dave, that's probably going to have some prospects go through the cracks because yeah. not everybody can can check them out. And then there are the European leagues. Yeah. So, I mean, it may be difficult to travel around Europe, but the Lightning have scouts, as do all teams, in these areas to watch games as they are taking place and, and being well, and I just saw, But it's still a challenge, right? Yeah, and, and in Europe it's so weird because I just I read a, an article today about just they're having real big problems with how they dealt with COVID, and it's, it's a lot worse right now over there than it is uh, anywhere here. And you wonder with traveling and the restrictions in place there, can you even get over there to, to see some of these yeah. guys? And how much are you doing just video and watching them and maybe doing some Zoom calls? Or relying yeah. on the year before. Which yeah, is and I think that's probably what because you're Because a player may have right. grown physically, but also grown in terms of his hockey development you're a right. lot in the year. Yeah, I remember Eric was saying about, uh, what was it, Sammy Walker, first maybe development camp he saw him, he was like 5'5", five, five, and then the next camp it was like 5'9", and... I mean, he really, he really grew and really started to fill out. So you're right. Yeah. I, mean, I think from year to year, especially when you're dealing with teenagers, you have no idea 
what to expect. So I think I find the draft fascinating, particularly at the in the NHL, because a lot of these guys you're not going to see for a while, and their progress as a player really changes from year to year, and even more so this year. And to me, if you're able to get a couple of players from this draft who can play in the NHL, I'd say that's a win for any organization. But we'll see how that plays out. But I thought Matthew brought up a good point, and we appreciate his time as the lighting gets set to take on the Stars tonight. 8.30 start. 8 o'clock is pregame. Uh, Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios will be on the airwaves at 7.30. And Dave, I, I do think in wrapping this show up, it is going to be interesting to see what type of effort we see from the Stars uh, everything I'm reading and, you know, talking to Matthew, I mean, it, it does sound like Rick Bonus still is respected um, in that locker room. Guys love playing for him. It, it, this could just be one of those years where you've had some tough injuries and the schedule has not allowed you to get into any type of rhythm and may cost them a playoff spot. I think the challenging thing for the Stars as an organization, if that is the case, do you look at this and say, all right, you know what, it was just an unusual year. We've got to tinker a little bit with our roster, but we still f- feel very good about where we're headed. Or do you look at this and say, let's take the Band-Aid off and you know, really try and, and get younger and revamp this team a- as much as possible? I think probably starting that game against Columbus a couple of nights ago when they got Radulov back, that process is still being evaluated. But a- an important couple of stretch, a couple of weeks for the, the Stars coming up here, I think. Well, they are cobbling together some points. I'm not sure if they're they're cobbling them together at the clip that is needed, as Matthew detailed in terms of his math that he kind of spitballed together. I believe they are three, one, and two in their last six. So, you know, you have six games where you only lose one in regulation. That's going to help. But it's still hard when you have to make up ground. And so they just had the two games set with Columbus, a team they need to catch, and both of the games went to overtime. So each team won a game, meaning that the Stars made up no ground on Columbus coming out of those those two games that they played. They had a two-game set with Chicago, and this is the one game they lost in regulation. They blew out the Hawks in the first game, but then lost the second game. So again, they come out of a two-game set with Chicago, a team they need to catch even. And so they need to find a way to... to to get more points at a quicker rate. But 3-1-2 and two is a lot better than some other potential records in the last six. Beyond the big picture, I think for tonight, understanding that the Stars have a really tough grind of a schedule that they have been in for a couple of weeks and they will continue to be in, I actually feel that this is one where they have a circumstantial advantage and I'm maybe stating the obvious here, they didn't play Monday night. The Lightning did Monday afternoon. The Lightning did get into Dallas before midnight. I mean, they they got in presumably probably about 10 p.m. or so local time. So they got a regular night's sleep. But this is an instance, and there are not going to be a lot of them this year, and the Stars, I'm sure, are aware of that, where they are welcoming a team that played the day before. They did not. The team they are playing had to travel. They did not. And I think they are ready to to pay back the Lightning a little bit. I I kind of feel about this game the way I did about the first game between the teams, which I was completely wrong about that one. I mean, the Stars had a good start for like the first six or seven minutes, then the Lightning took over the game. 
We'll see if I'm wrong about this one too. But they have been shut out now three straight games by the Lightning, going back to game six of the Stanley Cup final. That's a good point. And, and I think that it may be a little bit of what we saw from Nashville. It's like enough is enough already. They are coming in. They're the tired team. We got Radulov back. Let's score on these guys. And I can see that mentality providing a little boost to the stars. So the onus then is on the Lightning. And again, we often say this, Greg. They should be prepared for that. Whether it materializes or not, they should be ready for a team that is desperate for points, understands it has a circumstantial advantage as far as the schedule in this one instance, coming off two shutouts earlier this year and a shutout in game six in which they lost the Stanley Cup to you. Let's be ready for a team that is is fired up and, and, and playing on its toes and a team that felt it deserved a better fate the last time the clubs met in Dallas in that March 2nd game. That was a Vasilevsky steal of a game. So if if what we talked about in the first half of the show, Greg, isn't enough for the Lightning to say, you know what, we need a game where we need to hold the opposition to two or less and, and take care of the scoring chances against, the fact that they're taking on a desperate team should be enough, I would think, for, for them to be ready and geared up to, to deal with what, Maybe coming their way tonight. Yep, they got to be ready. There's no question about that. And we'll have all the coverage starting at 7.30. Pre-game at 8. Puck drops at 8.30. Dave, we'll talk to you in a little bit. All right, talk to you in a few. All right, thanks to Steve Versnick as well. Matthew DeFranks from the Dallas News. Thank you. I am Greg Linelli. We'll be with you tonight for the broadcast. And then, of course, tomorrow, another edition of Power Lunch from noon to 1 on Lightning Power Play.